online. Buzz.bournemouth.ac.uk For Bournemouth and beyond, this is Buzz. Hello and welcome to Buzzcast, an enlightening podcast where we explore topical issues that are relevant to our generation. I'm Bex Young and I'm Janine Hyde. In this week's episode, Generation Rent, we will address how we as young people deal with issues surrounding housing and finance such as millennials versus baby boomers, information on help to buy schemes, credit cards, overdrafts and stories of disaster housing. Plus, we'll be talking about the biggie, climate change. In particular, how it's affecting our generation, plus a little bit more on eco-housing, rising sea levels, and an exclusive interview with Professor Ian Stewart, the scientific consultant on the brand new BBC David Attenborough series, Seven Worlds, One Planet. There is so much to talk about, so I think we should just get straight into it, don't you, Bex? Yeah, let's go in. So there's a big difference between baby boomers and our generation on how easy it was to buy a house compared to now. The average house price in the UK is now around £235,000, but obviously this depends on where you're buying. Yeah, exactly that. So uh, up in Durham, where I'm from, the average house price is about £170,000. Wow, that's really cheap compared to where I'm from, Bex. In Kent, the average house price is around £347,000. Wow, that's really expensive. It is, but no matter where you're buying, it's clear that buying a house now is a lot harder than it was for our parents and grandparents. Yes, so uh, when my parents moved from Newcastle to Durham back in 2000, they bought our current house for about £75,000. And only had to pay a 5% deposit, so I can't even work out what that is. Uh, But over the years, though, the value of the house has fluctuated up and down. My grandparents up in Scotland, uh, they lived in about three different properties. So they lived on the farm when my mum was younger. Then they moved to the post office. And finally, they had a bungalow. And money for them wasn't an issue back in the day. Yeah, I can completely agree with you. My dad told me that he bought his first house when he was 23 and I'm 21 now and I could never buy a house in two years. No, exactly that. It was in 1989 and he only had to put a 5% deposit down, which was only £2,000 at the time. So the property was only about £40,000 and he was earning £20,000 a year. So within two years, he could have essentially owned the house, which is crazy. You could never do that now. No, you could never do that nowadays. So... Mortgages may not be too expensive in monthly payments, but getting accepted for one and actually being able to raise enough money for a deposit is the hard part, with them usually being around 10% of the value of the property. And as if that wasn't hard enough, Savills Estate Agents has predicted that house prices in Britain will rise by almost 15% from 2019 to 2023. That's such a large rise in such a short amount of time. Yeah. But then again, though, some baby boomers say that this issue is our own fault with this new trend of avocado shaman. Have you, have you heard about this? Yeah. I have heard about it and it's basically our generation being accused of wasting money on things that we don't really need when we could be saving for a mortgage. For example, things like that prep coffee before you go to uni or work every day. Or even that fancy Instagrammable avocado breakfast, which might look and taste amazing, but it also does cost a little bit too much money. Yeah, is that really the reason that generation rent can't afford a house or is it a bigger issue? Yeah, exactly that. And uh, linking to this actually, linking with the whole money thing, my mum actually rang me the other day about needing to open up a help to buy ISA before it's too late. Yeah, I don't really know what one of those is, Bex, so can you tell me? Yes, yeah, so a help to buy ISA is a scheme that helps first-time buyers save for a mortgage deposit to buy a home. Apparently the government contributes money towards your deposit for a house. Well, that sounds really, really good. And apparently I need all the help I can get because I'm buying too many avocados. Yeah, it does sound like that, doesn't it? 
Yeah, so what do you mean before it's too late? Well, the scheme is actually ending in a month's time on the 30th of November. And we actually have Jan Schrank here, the Director of Turtle Finance and a mortgage broker, who's also licensed for consumer credit and debt management to talk about more about the scheme. Hi, Jan, thanks for letting us speak to you. Hi. Uh, so can you explain to us what the Help to Buy ISAs are? Uh, so the Help to Buy ISAs, uh, as you said, is a savings account designed to help um, first-time buyers. Um, they allow you to save up to £200 a month and the government will top up your savings to the tune of 25%, up to a maximum of £3,000. And so uh, what do you think about them? Are they helpful in helping first-time buyers buy a house? Um, they're a great deal to, um, they're a great tool to encourage people saving, uh, but I'm not sure they're actually that great uh, in terms of uh, helping you buying a house. Um, purely because of the limits, you know, £3,000 uh, maximum uh, government bonus is not really going to make any difference in, uh, in buying a house. And uh, I've also heard of something called Lifetime ISAs. Could you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Lifetime ISAs have been introduced uh, a couple of years ago in 2017. Uh, they allow you to save up a little bit more. They allow you to save up to £4,000 a year. And again, the government will give you a 25% um, bonus on your savings provided you um, buy a house. Uh, so they're a little bit uh, less flexible than the help to buy ISAs in that uh, you can't close your account, or you can close your account, but you will be charged a penalty if you close it without buying a house. Thanks for that, Jan. Uh, we're actually going to keep you on the air because we want to hear your opinion on the next topic, which is credit cards and overdraft. Uh, is that okay with you? Uh, yeah, no problem. Fantastic. So on the subject of finance, lots of young people are being persuaded to get credit cards and set up overdrafts. So uh, my brother, who's in San Francisco, he messaged on our group chat the other day and recommended that I look into getting a credit card because it was to improve my credit score. You Can you agree with that, Janine? Yeah, I can agree. I mean, I went travelling a couple of years ago and I got a credit card as well, but I did find myself getting caught in a little bit of a situation where I couldn't pay it back and the interest rates were rising. Yeah. So they can be a bit dangerous. Getting a credit card can be helpful when you want to try and get a mortgage or a house as you can build up your credit score, but you do need to be careful not to get caught in that debt trap if you can't pay it all off. The convenience of credit cards means you can just keep paying for things and because of how easy it is, it doesn't really feel like you're using your real money yeah when you're struggling to pay for things you may turn to overdrafts in order to keep on spending we do have Bournemouth University student Paul Tregunner to talk to us about his own experience hi Paul hi girls hi so can you tell us about your own financial troubles uh okay well I'll start from the beginning uh then we'll get a backstory mm -hmm. I uh I had a job before I came to uni it was at a restaurant it wasn't great money but it wasn't bad mm -hmm. and I got paid cash in hand every week Sounds ideal. Yeah, it, well, you say that. Mm -hmm. I uh, I tended to use that as an excuse to live off that money for the week. So I didn't have a bank account. Mm -hmm. I literally just used cash. And I'd get paid on Thursday, spend that money by the end of Wednesday, because Wednesday was going out at night. Mm -hmm. So after that, I'd go to work the next day, pick up my wages. And yeah, so on and so forth. So when I came to uni, I'd set up a bank account to get my student loan. And it was about... £1,200 student loan, pretty decent. I was quite lucky because my, uh, I didn't have to put that towards accommodation. That was my money to live off. Yeah. yeah and I like a bet, I think. Mm -hmm. Many people do. <laughs> and I decided to uh, put £10 of that on a 125 to 1 bet. All right. <laughs> I don't know why. I, that's ridiculous odds. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I actually fell asleep and woke up and saw that I'd won 
1250 pounds so just a just a little amount of money there well yeah i mean ideal so i've got this yeah. student loan <laughs> got a student loan got my uh this bet so mm-hmm. this is about two and a half thousand pounds yeah which for me i was like 18 90 at a time practically a millionaire exactly yeah. exactly yeah. i've never had that much money in my bank before i uh, probably never will um <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is great. And I'd just moved away from home. Mm-hmm. I was at uni. I was like, everyone's going to love me. Like, <laughs> drinks on nights out are on me. And um, so, yeah, I went to a freshers event to see Sigma at Cameo. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that sort of music, but I thought <laughs> I'll go. I'll, I'll make it enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, I'll get a booth. So I got a booth for me and my friends. I was like, oh, let's get a bottle in. Let's get another bottle in. So on and so forth. Yeah. And I don't actually want to know how much I spent on that night. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot. Yeah, I can gather. So once you do that and you have this really good night that you can sort of remember, but when you remember it, you know it was a good night. Mm -hmm. And I decided, yeah, I'll make this a regular thing. And on the side, I'm putting on £10 bets here, £10 bets there, Mm -hmm. trying to think, oh, I've won this £10 bet on 125 to 1. Yeah, I'm going to win it again, surely. Like, Mm -hmm. Of course, why not? Exactly, (laughs) but £10 here and £10 there, whether it's on a bet or literally on like co-op meal deals, whatever, Mm -hmm. that money does add up and it does go like 10 bets of that is 100 pounds it sounded like it's getting a little bit dangerous so yeah you can see the uh decline starting Mm -hmm. to form and i got to the stage where i was like right i I should probably check my bank account but i'm not going to because i think a lot of young people get that anxiety when they want to check Mm -hmm. and they're like oh i'll put it off if i don't check i'm fine yeah don't check don't know exactly you're uh, blissfully unaware yeah uh but i got to a point where i was like okay i do actually need to check and it was about november time bear in mind we joined uni about end of september yeah this is about november beginning of november and i had about 20 pounds in my bank account from all that money gone yeah so i decided to um obviously i needed to come to a conclusion of how i was going to survive for Mm -hmm. the following months so I looked at what I could do on the bank account and there was the overdraft option. Ah. So I was about minus £500 before I got my new student loan, mm-hmm. which isn't a great place to start. No, it's not. Nope. So bringing Yang back into the call, what would you say to people like Paul and others in a similar position who are uh, struggling financially and having to go into their overdrafts? Uh, the first thing to do is really not to bury your head, your head in the sand. Um, the longer you leave it, the, the worse it will become. And whatever you do, don't chase your debts by taking on other debts. Um, you have to be open about it and talk about it, um, you know, maybe to family. Debt is still a, a taboo um, subject, um, but they might be able to help. You know, you have to be open, uh, open about it. All right. Thanks very much, Paul, and thanks, Jan. It's been really great to chat to the both of you about this. Yeah, yeah. thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. So we don't only struggle with debt, but we also struggle with conditions in our own houses when we're at university. We spoke to a number of different students who have had their own taste of disaster housing. When we moved in, it was really dirty. No one had cleaned it. Pipe burst and now the kitchen's leaking. So my room has three walls, no door, no window, but a little curtain that separates me from the rest of the house. At the end of the tenancy, we didn't get our deposit back. The next day we woke up and there was like actual feces like human feces coming out the side of our house there's some uh, some awful issues on there like isn't there yeah not great doesn't sound very nice so have you had any issues with your housing uh so currently i'm dealing with a bit of a major maintenance issue uh, i've got a bit of a mold issue going on 
Uh, I thought it wasn't that bad. The Latin agency said it was condensation, but it's clearly not condensation. So I've got about a thousand mold mites crawling all over my walls. Oh, God. Um, everything I own has to be washed, cleaned or binned. And I'm currently living in the living room on an airbed and plastic bags because it's got to such an extreme level. So I'm one of these people struggling at the minute with their disaster housing. What about yourself, Janine? Yeah, I mean, not quite as bad as that, but I did move in and there was an army of slugs. Oh, that's lovely. And (laughs) as well as that, we've started getting some damp, which I did call the maintenance man about. And he told me that the reason we have damp is because I've been breathing in my room too much. You've been breathing in your room too much? Yeah, apparently me breathing in my room is causing condensation and making the house mouldy. Well, that's... Absolutely brilliant. Don't know how I'm really going to fix that one, but we'll (laughs) just have to wait and see. Now we've got Dan, who's live at a student house where the ceiling collapsed in a room this morning. Dan, what can you tell us? Hi, Bex. So I'm currently at the address right now. I'm here with Abby. Uh, We're currently standing in the hallway, and we're just going to go into the bathroom now and have a look. Uh, It's looking pretty murky in here. The ceiling's collapsed. Uh, There seems to be a lot of dust around. Uh, It's still dripping. Uh, it's looking quite discoloured as well. Uh, Abby, can you tell me what happened last night? Um, so we were woken up probably halfway through the night by a loud bang. When we were to come downstairs, we saw that half the ceiling was all over the floor, a mess everywhere. Um, we phoned the landlords in the morning and they responded. I hope that's something that never happens to me. Uh, were there any signs leading up to it, perhaps like maybe like a mark on the wall or on the ceiling? Um, yeah, about two days ago we saw a crack starting to form. There was a leak that also started that was quite bad. Um, and then as the two days went on, the crack got larger and larger until it broke. Well, it's lucky no one was under there then because there's a toilet directly underneath where the hole is in the ceiling. Uh, is this the first problem you've had at the house since you've moved in? Um, I think we had another problem probably with damp because we had a lot of slugs on the floor in our kitchen, um, I think coming from the back of the washing machine. Um, this happened probably for about a week. When we'd come in, you know, late at night, there would be slugs on our floor that we had to then sort of sort out, clean up. We couldn't even find where they were coming from. Oh, so it must be getting quite annoying for you to constantly contact the landlord to let them know of an issue in the house. Uh, and I'm sure you don't want it either. Uh, so what's next for you? Like, what are you going to do now with the ceiling? Are you going to get it repaired? Uh, we're still waiting to hear. As soon as it happened, as soon as we found out, we you know, we had to let the, uh, let the landlords know. Um, but, yeah, we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen. They basically said that um, they're waiting to hear as well. So not much has sort of happened yet, but we're waiting to obviously get the ceiling replaced. OK, perfect. Thank you. Well, I hope your ceiling gets sorted very soon because it's not so I'd like to live with anyway. Uh, thanks anyway. I suppose the only way is up for you now. Uh, back to you guys in the studio. Thanks very much for that, Dan. Here with us now is VP Community for Bournemouth University, Abidemi Abia Dunn, sharing his expert advice on rent for students. It's great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much for having me. So what are the steps for students to start looking for a property to rent? Um, I think the first step is to ask yourself, are you actually ready to rent? So mm-hmm. have you asked yourself um, a lot of questions um, regarding renting? Um, and I think um, part of that question includes where do you want to live? So what kind of accommodation do you want to live in? Do you want to live in like student halls? Do you want to rent like privately? Do you want to live in a shared accommodation? Do you want your own studio? So if you ask yourself that kind of question, then um, you'd clearly understand if you're ready or not. And then um, as well, you need to know who you want to live with. So after making the decision of where you want to live, do I want to live with people? Do I want to live alone? Um, do I have friends that we all want to gather together and leave as well? Yeah. And um, the other question again is, um, where do you want to live? So in terms of location, do I want to live close to uni? 
do I want to live, you know, um, in town? Do I want to live um, far from town? Do I want to be alone? Um, you know, things like that. So those are the kind of questions you need to ask when it, you know, comes to renting. And also after that, then you need to know what can I actually afford. So how much do I have? Um, do I have enough money to, you know, take my rent? Or do I want to split bills? Do I want to share the rent? You know, things like that. And um, I think the final question then is. When am I actually ready to move in? When do I have to sign my contract? Well, who reads my contract or anything like that? Then um, you kind of understand where, where where the direction is for you. So, yeah, those are like the main questions you need to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And are there any key signs to look out for spotting potential problems that could come up with renting a property? Um, yeah, there are obviously there are key signs. Um, and I think the first thing you need to do is if you decided to rent um, like a private house, where you know people have lived in before i think it's best if you have the opportunity to question those that have lived in that house before you so if you get the opportunity most of the times you go for viewing and um, there are still people living in the house Mm -hmm. question them so ask them what's the problem what's it like living in this house like do you have any issues you know with the landlord or you know most times they will open up and tell you you know what the roof is leaking in the bathroom they haven't come to fix it for a long time or there's mold in the house you know, ask them this question. And if you don't get to see anybody when you get there, um, obviously what you then need to do is look around, um, check for the bathroom. Is there mold in the bathroom? Is the kitchen good? Um, is everything all right? So you need to also know all of that. And good thing you need to do nowadays, everyone has a phone, so take pictures. So take pictures of the house, you know, see what it's like. And then you can not just show yourself, but also so show your friends, your parents, or anyone that's guiding you. So um, let them see the pictures of what the house is like, and then they can tell you, oh, you know what, there should be a window in your kitchen. There's no window in your kitchen. You might have a problem with that. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, finally, what advice can you give to students who are experiencing troubles, whether housing and landlords or agents? Yeah, um, the first thing you need to do is talk to your agents. So you need to walk up to your agent and tell them, you know what, I'm having these issues with my house, I'm having these issues um, in my bathroom or anywhere in your house, and then talk to them at first. But if they don't listen, um, then you also need to seek external advice. And I, and I think we do that a lot with Subo advice. So they advise students on housing and issues like that. So if they have to write a letter to your agent, like an official letter saying, oh, um, you've breached your contract um, with the students, so they will do that for you. And also, if they have to take it up for you, like maybe like get a lawyer involved or get the counsel involved, they'll do that for you. But the first thing you need to do is talk to your agent. Most of them would listen if you talk to them and explain to them that these are my problems. If you can find your landlord, talk to your landlord as well. Um, if you tell them these are the issues in the house, can you fix this, can you fix that? And if you pay your rent, if you do, I mean, if you do your your part then they should also do jazz then if they don't then obviously come into the university talk to super advice and then they'll tell you what next to do right thanks very much for that and thank you so much for coming to speak to us today we really appreciate it thank you very much for having me thank you thank you and so right now we have sandra on who is going to tell us a little bit more about moving into houses so sandra what can you tell us Hi, Bex. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. Hello. Well, I would say uh, my advice would be that organization is key. So please plan everything ahead, such as the day you're picking up your keys, who's going to do that, setting up the payments to your landlord and so forth and so on. Also, you need to read over your contract and make sure you understand it like everything. Don't sign anything unless you understand 
everything in the, in your contract. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Next is the inventory, so make sure it is correct. Um, you can ask your landlord for it, and if they use if they refuse to do it, then you can just go on englandshelter.org.uk where you can find a template form to help you out. Because failure of having an, an inventory could result in you not getting the deposit back. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't even have my inventory. Yeah, so neither do I. This is something that's really helpful for me to know because in the end, I really would like to get my deposit back because we've obviously yeah. paid quite a bit of money. But uh, please continue. Well, yeah, they should give you an inventory uh, seven days since your moving date. So oh, if right. not, then you should just go on this website and they give you like a template with everything that should be on an inventory. So that that can be really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, last but not least, make sure your property is a licensed HMO property. There should be a certificate that would be supplied to you or displayed at the property. If unsure, just ask your landlord or letting agent. Thanks very much for that, Sandra. Yeah, thank you for your help today. housing isn't the only issue that affects us young people. Yeah, we've got to be thinking about repaying university costs, starting our pension contributions, even the things going on in our personal lives such as relationships and maintaining hobbies and interests. But I think the big thing on every young person's mind at the moment is climate change and global warming. Yeah, no matter where you go or what you're doing, you just can't escape the reality of the future of the planet. <laughs> God, Bex, that's a bit serious. Hey, I'll tell you what, though, Janine, we've got to be serious about it, though, because it's such a huge issue that's going to have everlasting effects on our future. Yeah, I do agree completely, so let's dive in and chat about it. Yeah, so one thing that I think we should sort of discuss is could an eco-house help young people to reduce their carbon footprint? Well, we have our reporter Ollie here to tell us more about them. Hello, Ollie. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. So can you tell us about eco-houses? Yeah, so basically earlier this year, over 100 councils around the UK declared a climate emergency, including BCP Council. And this basically means that BCP have pledged to go completely carbon neutral by 2030, including new houses. I spoke to Simon Bull earlier today, who is Bournemouth's first and only Green Party councillor, who put forward the motion about the climate emergency, and he told me how eco-houses can help the environment. So, Simon, do you know if there are any plans to build more eco-houses in the Bournemouth area? Well, as you know, um, over 100 councils have declared the emergency, and of course BCP Council is one of those. Um, The current administration is serious about this commitment to the residents and as part of that we're looking to make all future um, house building by the council carbon neutral uh, and that's got to be a priority so um, amongst those hundred councils there are a number that are already taking steps to to get to that point to build carbon neutral uh, buildings in future and Bournemouth uh, Christchurch and Paul Council are contacting these other councils, such as Exeter, to learn from them and to see how we can uh, how that see how they are achieving it and how we can do the same. And how do houses like eco houses and carbon neutral houses help the environment? Uh, there's a no, number of ways. I mean, the materials they use to build them are often uh, more um, sustainable, more eco-friendly, if you like. Um, and also, what's built because of the way they they are built, which is Better air tightness, uh, excellent insulation, uh, efficient heating systems. It it means they use less energy to heat the houses uh, and that they are um, 
warm in winter and cool in summer. They, they are uh, thereby reducing the, the use of um, energy sources and also providing the residents with a much cheaper um, solution to their, to their heating requirements. Okay, so are they more expensive or are they cheaper to run than normal houses? To run, they are cheap. They're considerably cheaper. Um, the, the monthly bills are sort of less than half what they would be in a normal home, in a, in a, in, in a standard home, should I say, in a you know, traditional construct. Uh, in the building room, they are marginally more expensive. They are more expensive to build, but the benefits of that are far out, outweighed by the additional cost in building them. Okay, so just finally, would you say you recommend an eco house for someone to purchase if they're looking to reduce their carbon uh, footprint? Absolutely, yes, yeah. Um, it certainly is the way forward with, with new homes. Retrofitting existing homes is a challenge and can be quite expensive. Um, but there are ways we can all improve our existing home. If we, if we live in a, a more traditional home, we can look at the insulation, we can look at um, other factors to make them more more environmentally friendly, but um, so if you're new and eager homes, what I would recommend. So I just want to say thank you to Simon for that interview, and Bex and Janine, would you guys be interested in buying an eco house if you're looking? <laughs> Well, um, realistically, I would want to buy an eco house, but I just don't think they should be so much more expensive than every other house. I feel like we should be making a conscious effort to make all houses eco houses now. Every new house should be built so that it's environmentally friendly, and I don't really see why they wouldn't be, to be honest. Yeah, um, I have to agree with everything that uh, Janine's saying. If there's such a push for climate change and how catastrophic these levels of global warming could be, I think the government should be doing more uh, because it's just a little bit more sort of difficult to get these eco houses made in terms of funding and stuff. So maybe the government does need to do more um, to uh, improve these uh, states of eco housing. Yeah, and it was quite interesting that the bills are le- nearly half of yeah, the normal definitely. house, as Simon said, which is very definitely. interesting. So. Right, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks thank very you, much. Ollie. Thanks for coming in, Ollie. Thank you for having me. Bye. So now we are joined by the UNESCO Chair in Geoscience and Society, Professor Ian Stewart, MBE, to talk about the devastating realities of climate change and also his new documentary with Sir David Attenborough, Seven Worlds, One Planet. Hi, Ian. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Okay, perfect. Can you tell us about your recent projects that you've been involved in? Uh, Well, uh, on the new Attenborough one... um, the Seven Worlds One Planet. I was a scientific consultant for that, so that was kind of for the first time behind the scenes. But I've worked a lot with BBC Science, so I've made documentaries on climate change and on fracking and many of the issues that we're kind of talking about in terms of the planetary well-being. So, you know, the, the, the popular media, the popular science media, is a really important place to have those discussions and those engagement with the wider public. Yeah. Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. So, why do you think young sh- people should care about climate change, and what do you think they can do to make a big difference? Well, I, I think that unless you value something, you're not really going to care about it. So, we have a real issue now that the science has been more or less the same for the last fifty years. Yeah. So, 1965 is the first time a U.S. president talks about bombing fossil fuels, changing the climate, and yet nothing 
has happened, and the science has more or less stayed exactly the same. The difference has been the public behavioural change, the public kind of getting behind it. Um, and now there's a huge kind of shift, I think, happening in society. There's the climate strikes, yep. there's, there's David Attenborough talking about plastics. So there's a real sense of people um, connecting into the planet about their future. Um, and in many respects, it's not the scientists that are leading the way, it's these other groups. It's um, faith groups in some cases, it's uh, young people groups, it's also things like even the CEOs of major corporations that are talking about the business bottom line having to change. Yeah. So now there's a much wider set of people out there that is pushing this agenda, and that, that's great. But it's still a you know, massive, um, because we've left it so late, a massive amount of stuff has to happen really fast. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time today, Ian. It's been absolutely amazing to speak to you. And good luck with the documentary series. We're all really looking forward to watching it. Fantastic. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Bye-bye. So from Eco Houses, we now move on to global warming, where we're going to talk about rising sea levels. I'll tell you what, though, Janine, that is a topic close to my heart. And why is that, Bex? Because of the polar bears. When I was little, every night when I went to sleep, my mum would leave the landing light on and say, remember to save the polar bears, because obviously the ice caps were melting even back then when I was younger. Yeah, it's the same for me. I love penguins, and I just love how the daddy penguin looks after the baby penguins, so it'd be so sad if they were all gone. And we have our on-air journalist Sandra in the studio now to discuss the fine details. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Bex and Janine. Thanks for having me. It's great for you to be on. What areas could be worse effective if levels keep on rising the way they are? Well, Janine, there's a small increase of just 30 centimetres that would make areas like the Maldives and Fiji uninhabitable. Fiji. Oh, I went to Fiji last year and it was so beautiful. It would be such a shame if it was all underwater. Well, it would be. Asia in general would be the worst affected area with potentially millions in China, India and Thailand being in danger of regular flooding by 2050. Even in the UK, around 3.6 million people would be at risk of an annual flood by that time. So tell me, how might this affect Dorset? Well, the UK landmass is tilting with Scotland rising and southern England sinking. So obviously this could pose a greater risk to Dorset. The UK government published a report this year looking at sea level projections for Britain up until 2300. Even in a low emission scenario, sea levels around Dorset would rise by 0.3 metres in 2100. Worst case scenario, it would be 0.7 metres. And would there be a high risk of flooding then? Well, Christchurch is at high risk anyway, so it could only get worse in the coming years if we do nothing. That's a huge uh, huge concern then. Is there any good news? Yes, it isn't all doom and gloom. The 2015 Paris Agreement set a global goal to reach net zero emissions in the second half of the 21st century. And the UK government committed to net zero carbon emissions earlier this year. Overall, there is some progress being made. Yeah, it's fantastic to hear that there is uh, some progress being made. So keeping on the topic of climate change, you have some stories for us about eco-friendly schemes, don't you, Sandra? Yes, I do indeed. My first one is about Sainsbury's becoming the biggest retailer in the UK to use paper bags instead of plastic ones. Oh, that's really cool. How long have they been doing that for? Well, they're currently running a 12-week trial in their 167 stores under this scheme. This will be able to make a huge difference for the environment as Sainsbury's uses almost 120,000 tons of plastic packaging per year. Oh, that is a lot of plastic and they're really setting a trend here, aren't they? Uh, What else have you got for us? Well, on a more local level, the Greenhouse Hotel in Grove Road in Bournemouth has been rated between the top 10 eco-friendly stays in the world. 
Wow, that's really impressive. Um, what's this based on? It was based on rankings from customers' reviews from the travel site Expedia. An interesting fact about the hotel is that the company car runs on biofuel from the kitchen's old cooking oil. Running on biofuel, that's certainly a different way to be sustainable. Yes, it is. Um, another local story, it also involves eco-friendly beach huts being built to sandbags, if you can believe. The huts will clad with timber to help stop erosion, and they will be seated on stilts drilled into the ground. Well, that's a cool way to enjoy the beach in a sustainable way, which is really important for coastal areas like ours. Yeah, and it's certainly been an intriguing look into some of these environmental stories. Thanks for coming on, Sandra. Thank you. Bye. Well, it's good to know that we are being proactive and it's nice to see that so many people are getting involved in making a difference. Yeah, definitely. And I'll tell you what, Janine, I definitely think we've covered a lot of different topics today. Yeah, me too. It's been a very good chat. And with that, I think it's time to wrap it up. I just want to say thank you to all of our guests and a big thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you guys. Bye from us at Buzzcast. Bye. (laughs) 